Welcome to another episode of Heated Conversation. Today, we have former head coach of UCLA Gymnastics. She's a seven-time national champion. She's amassed over 500 wins. She's been NCAA Coach of the Year four times, Pac-12 Coach of the Century, and she has zero experience with gymnastics. Welcome to the show, Ms. Val. Ms. Val, how are you doing? I'm great. That was funny. <laughs> no, I think I think it, it it's important to kind of talk about, you know, um, and the I can relate to the zero experience in gymnastics uh, because I personally uh, am a gymnastics coach who wasn't a gymnast or didn't okay. have experience with it. I played other sports like football, um, wrestling and track. Um, and so gymnastics is something that kind of fell into my lap and has really made a career for me. I don't know if I would have known what I would have done in life if gymnastics hasn't, hadn't showed up and um, kind of created the life that I have now. So I'm super grateful for it. Um, and I want to kind of talk about your journey, starting off with how did you get into becoming a seven-time national champion at the division one level in gymnastics as a head coach at UCLA, but you don't have any gymnastics experience. Yeah. I actually love talking about that. And I love following it up with all those accolades because um, the wins and the coach of the century and all that, that's, that's the bling. Um, and it's what I learned along the way. That's really the important stuff. But the one thing I love to share um, is that I was a ballet dancer. I was 22 years old. I had not, gone to college and I uh, heard be the grapevine that UCLA needed a, a gymnastics a dance coach and a choreographer and for their gymnastics team and so this is the important part is that without any hesitation I picked up the phone I found out who the head coach was and I called him and I just said it was Jerry Tomlinson and I said I have 17 years of classical ballet training and I can choreograph and I hear you need a dance coach and he said, we don't have money for a salary, but I, if you've not gone to college, I can give you a full scholarship. And I've not gone to college, 22. And I was like, done and done. And so that started my path in 1982. And when you look forward into this unbelievable opportunity that I had that turned into this incredible career that I would never dreamt of, the whole thing would have never, ever, ever, ever happened had I been too afraid to make the ask. And one of my favorite people I listen to is, is uh, Michael Gervais. And he says, you know, so many people talk about FOMO, fear of other people's fear of missing out. But right. he says what he wants to talk about is FOPO, fear of other people's opinions. Yeah. And that had I been, I remember my mom saying, you just picked up the phone and called and made the ask. I'm like, the worst thing he could say is no. Like he doesn't even know me. Why would I take that personally? Right. So then fast forward, I graduate, I get called into the athletic director's office and she says, we're making a change with the head coach position. We want you to be the new head coach. And I laughed out loud and I said, do I need to remind you? I don't know the first thing about gymnastics. And she literally just kind of looked at me and said, I trust that you'll figure it out. And the journey of how I figured it out is the humiliating part and the vulnerability of what I speak about because I knew nothing. This was 1989. 
This was decades before we started talking about mental health and wellness. This is before we even discussed the difference between transactional coaching and leadership and transformational, which is part of your acronym to transform. And um, this is also a few years after Bella and Marta Caroli came. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, they win. I'll just mimic them. And uh, I did. We sucked. And I say, thankfully, we sucked because we had a ton Mm -hmm. of talent um, at UCLA. And we were not good. But we weren't good because of the talent. We weren't good because of me. Hmm. And so I had to have a nice little chat with myself and decide if I was going to resign or if I was going to figure out a different way. Yeah. So when you were looking for options to what should I do with this program and what were the things that you saw, at least in the Corollis, that you were like, hey, I want to implement within the program? And then what were some of those transformations within you that you realized that, hey, um, these are areas I can change or need to change to be able to move this team forward from being talented but not doing well to eventually where um, your teams have landed? That's a great question. And it just sparked something in me that I had never really connected the dots on. Um, so thank you. Um, the first thing I had to do was figure out why was sport important? Why was my job important? Because I came from theater. <laughs> there was no winning back when I was dancing. And so athletics was like all about bragging rights, being able to say, ha ha, we beat you. And I was like, there has to be more to this gazillion dollar industry mm. than haha we beat you yeah. what was it and that's when i literally had this awakening that sport is a master class in teaching all the life lessons that you don't learn in a classroom and in looking at what i found fascinating about Marta in particular, well, Marta and Bella, Bella was the motivator. He was like, when he looked those girls in the eyes and he said, you can do it. They believed it, you know? Yeah. But Marta was the master strategist and discipline. And when you look at what sport teaches you at any level, it's resilience, it's discipline. It's shortening the distance between failure and recovery not having a pity party and poor me, I suck and blah, blah, blah. Shortening that distance. It's teaching you courage right. at every single step. And when I think the little aha moment I just had with you and connecting these dots was I realized at that moment, I was not going to focus on winning. I'm going to focus on developing champions in life that are going to go out and make the world a better place. And my classroom is the gym. Yeah. So once I figured that out, I got my why. Now I had to figure out how I was going to do that. And when I look at what Marta and Bella were able to do, um, they did instill discipline and resilience and overcoming fear and courage. It was how would be the question. Yeah. Go back to doing that. And so I had to figure out my how. And that, that took a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Now with that trial and error, what were some like steps or what what were some of those things that you, that you actively did? 
to be able to create your path to your how? Was it, um, especially when you talk about making the gym your classroom, you know, it, don't, it makes me think of, think about being a teacher, right? So say I'm supposed to teach or have these third graders become fourth graders, and I'm supposed to teach this and this and this. What am I supposed to do to be able to motivate those kids to, to learn it? What am I teaching them? Well, in, in regards to this, we're teaching gymnastics, but in the classroom, right? What am I going to be teaching and how do I put it together, implement it strategically to be able to get to the end results? What were some of those things that you had to do or some of the supplies that you or resources really that you needed um, in order to get there? That's a great question because it's really, um, it was like, what tools in my tool belt did I have that I need to get and that I need to sharpen? Before I had my aha moment, I pretended to be a leader. And in my mind, a leader has all the answers. And so I just dictated, blah, 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 blah. And I had zero credibility with our student athletes. Um, the number one tool that I sharpened was listening. And what I did when I had my humility breakthrough um, meltdown was I realized you still know nothing about how to coach gymnastics. Not only that, but how to coach a team. I didn't know what a, a culture, a healthy culture should look like. So instead of pretending to have the answers, let's ask questions. And that was one of my greatest tools. And I remember thinking that as I made that shift, one of the greatest tools for me was the need to ask questions. And as I've learned since, because I am a voracious reader and studier, I study coaching and leadership constantly, is one of the best ways to teach is to ask an open-ended question and have the student figure it out for themselves. Mm. So when an athlete would come off a beam and she'd miss her series and she'd come to me and she'd say, what did I do wrong? Instead of me, blah, this is what you did wrong, so go do it better. It was, well, what did you feel? What were you thinking before you went? What's a cue that you feel that you need to implement to help your series be better? And when you help an athlete figure it out for themselves, they learn better. And I remember at that time, I don't even remember what book it was reading, but they said one of the biggest um, mistakes that coaches make is giving a correction every single turn. Instead, you should give a correction every five to seven turns and let them figure it out. And it's like one of my favorite phrases is champions are made in struggle. Champions are not made when everything's going well. Yeah. So let them struggle. Let them like embrace the suck. Yeah, Let right. them figure it out. And that was, that combined with what I believe is one of the most important things that all of us need to continue to, to hone is our skill of listening. Yeah. And so to just shut up and listen as the athlete's speaking. Right. Now, who are some examples that you have either in dance or theater that you learned some of these things or was this something that later on you kind of noticed from other people we had mentioned some of the aspects that you learned from the Carolis. were there other people that you kind of saw do what you ended up developing to be part of your coaching philosophy yeah I was very very 
very blessed. I don't know how all these stars aligned for me, but um, shortly after that, I got to know coach John Wooden and he became my mentor. He became like family to me and my husband. Um, and so I just, he never, coach Wooden never, ever, ever gave advice. Coach Wooden would ask questions for you to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I'm also really blessed. I married my husband who is like a second John Wooden. I mean, he's like John Wooden's little brother. I remember coming home one time and just being like, oh my gosh, you know, these student athletes are driving me insane, particularly like this one. And he said, my husband says to me, my love, all the flowers in the garden don't bloom at the same time. And I never forgot that. Mm. It was like, you know, and I think how many times have I heard a coach or have you heard a coach say, I give up. I told him a hundred times I give up. It's like, no, 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 you can't give up. Right. Because it's not up to you to determine when that flower is going to bloom. Right. You just got to keep drip, 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 the drip system. Keep watering it. And eventually that flower is going to bloom. Right. No, I think that's very good. Because I think that's super important for us as um, coaches to, and even just student athletes and, you know, or people just in life is being able to understand some of those things. And I think all the time, especially as a coach, and I know this for a fact for myself is, you know, we talk too much, right. And we tell them too much and we, you know, try to direct their path, which I think handicaps them sometimes outside. And I'm sure you've probably seen this or heard this from athletes when they finish, especially the sport of gymnastics, they don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to go work out because someone told me my workout my whole entire life. And I wasn't able to do these things. So now I have the freedom and I'm like, I don't want to, you know, lose my ability to still be fit or whatever the case may be, but I have no idea what to do. Like I need mm -hmm. someone. And so a lot of times they go and find, you know, another avenue that kind of gives them that direction. But if, you know, what you're talking about, you're able to teach them how to really access the information they already know. Because that's what I'm getting is they already know this information that you are just helping them find out. It's almost like losing your keys. You got to backtrack and think, where did, where was I last? Where did I last see it? Oh, okay. That's where it is, you know, mm -hmm. and having them do that with their skills, with, with their fears, with their mistakes, whatever it is. And being able to teach coaches. And that, that leads me to ask, how do you, now and what you do teach other ones just like john wooden and your husband taught you to be able to 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 get away from what is normal to feel like we're always needing to correct or needing to make it right or have the answer mm -hmm. what's the question so how do you teach other coaches and how do you encourage other coaches to be able to not feel like they need to be the ones to ask or even just to teach them how to teach their athletes to yeah. um, find the answer first themselves. Of all, first of all, give them the permission to not think they have to know everything and to cite examples of really strong leaders in our history, like the commonalities going back centuries of the really strong leaders. There were like a handful of commonalities with them. One was they surrounded themselves with really good people and they didn't 
pretend to have all the answers. And by, by surrounding yourself with really good people, you empower them so that if you're in a situation and you don't have the answer, you can look to the person, your assistant coaches, whomever, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? The strong leaders always speak last because they're gathering information in a setting. The second thing is to really um, understand that your job as a leader is to model the behavior that you would like to see from those people whom you are leading, including your peers. And so to be a leader, it's not about having a title. It's not about having a certain salary. It's not about being at the top of the rung. A leader is simply about influence. And if you have influence over one other person, whether it's your younger sibling, whether it's your assistant, fellow assistant coach, whether it's a teammate, you are a leader and you're either leading in a positive direction or a negative direction. It's one or the other. It's not nothing. Right. And I love, I just read the other day, if you think you're a leader and you turn around and nobody's following you, then you're just taking a walk. Mm. So to be able to, to understand leadership isn't about all of those power skills that we're taught. The power skills are what used to be called soft skills. Mm. Model what vulnerability looks like. Mm. Model what humility looks like. Model what showing up every day with confidence and a great work ethic and a great attitude. Like literally the, the cornerstones of Coach Wooden's Pyramid of Success are industriousness and enthusiasm industriousness show up and work with intention and enthusiasm attitude and effort just put them together and you're going to be successful right yes model that and then the biggest challenge that i give people do you play wordle um i do not okay well i do and i'm kind of like a savant i'm really good okay so this is one of the tools that I continue to sharpen will sharpen until the day I die. Because most of us, when someone else is speaking, we're formulating our response. As soon as they shut up, this is what I'm gonna say. Right. Or we're saying, listening to them, we're going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And the wordle in this is when you rearrange those letters, that spell listen, it spells silent. Mm. <gasps> oh, isn't that cool? I didn't, I didn't get it. My sports psychologist did that. Um, cool. taught, taught us all that. But in order to truly listen, we need to silence our minds. And that's very difficult to do. Mm. But when you silence your mind, you're able to listen. We're talking about coaching now you're able to not just listen to the words your athletes are saying. You're, you're listening with all your senses. How are they saying it? What are their eyes saying? What is their energy saying? And you're able to absorb what they're saying, not just hear what they're saying. Um, that is something that I learned over the course of my coaching career. Um, I wish I knew everything back then that I know now because I know yeah. so much more now <laughs> yeah especially since I retired I'm like all I do is read about this stuff all day long but I empower young coaches such as yourself I talk with coaches all the time um 
I give them permission to not have to be, have all the answers and puff up your chest to be the leader. Right. Simply model the behavior that you would like to show and instill in your athletes. Now, model, as a leader, model what a sincere apology mm -hmm. looks and sounds like and feels like. So how does this get walked out in the practical? So if I come to you and I'm struggling and I have a bad attitude, so now my effort levels probably have gone down and my attitude has definitely gone down just because I'm frustrated for whatever reason. How do I walk out from your perspective dealing with me? So if I come to you and I'm your athlete or I'm, you know, uh, your student, if you're coaching me and I'm frustrated, hey, I'm frustrated on floor today because I am not feeling my one and a half front full and I'm just so angry about it. Maybe I have other factors that are playing into it as well. And maybe there's some internal internal drama that might be also looming what are some steps that you would take to address me if i had the time and we were in the gym because this happened quite a bit um i would say hey let's just take a walk for a minute and we either go up to the team room or we just go walk outside for a minute and i just say what what's going on what what would you like me to know that has nothing to do with gymnastics and I'm going to tell you 99.999% of the time, it wasn't gymnastics. Mm -hmm. It's other things, including Miss Val. I don't think you like me. I don't think you think I'm good. You know, it, how they're interpreting me. Um, and in any situation, this is why communication skills are so important to home. In any situation, when you ask that question to someone and then shut up and listen, silence your mind and truly listen, you're validating them. You're making them feel of value. You're giving them that voice. And the majority of the time that I did this, tears would come. And quite often I'd say, you know what? Let's just take a day off. Let's take a personal day. Go take a walk, go upstairs, take a nap, get caught up in your schoolwork. Cause I didn't want to take the responsibility first of all, and them getting injured because their mind's not in the game in training. Right. If it was gymnastics, if it was that, then it's like, okay, well, guess what? Welcome to the world of athletics and sport. It's hard. That's why it's so much fun. The challenge yeah. is fun. So yeah. Let's break it down. So you're afraid to go your series on beam. I mean, that's like, classic gymnastics you're afraid to do your series on beam all right let's break it down let's go back to the basics and let's not just focus on your body let's focus on what you're telling yourself the mental game the game within the game right yeah what are you saying be honest what are you saying yeah and it's usually negative all right, right. well let's flip that right now so but i i always started off with what what would you like me to know what's going on yeah and i think that's super important like you mentioned for me as a coach, I have started, not really started, but one of my biggest things is I try to coach the person first. And yes, the product is gymnastics that we're trying to create, 
and I've mentioned this in other podcasts, is we are not trying to um, create a product with other products. We are tr- using people to create a product. And we have to take care of the people first in order for the product to be able to be what we want it to be. And in in doing so, you know, really getting down to a personal level and having those conversations, like you mentioned, what's going on outside of here. And sometimes it depends on the relationship they may have with you, if they trust you to be able to say it or not, or feel as if it could be used against, which is unfortunate because that is something that has happened where the information that, you know, student athletes or athletes bring to um, quote unquote, their coaches or leaders are, um, they're not taken care of, right? They're mishandled. And so it's hard for athletes to always get to that point. But when they do, I think it's super crucial and super essential that we are able to have them feel like that's a safe place because when they can release those burdens that they may have created, if that's a fear, if that's something that is outside of the gym, that's at home or, you know, as they're developing and what they think about themselves, you know, having a safe place to be able to talk to that, to, to them. And also, as you mentioned, examples, everything that you probably coached them on, you probably went through at your own life. So you actually have somewhere that you can speak from that can relate to what they're doing. And sometimes they may not be like, Hey, you know, you don't know me because right now I'm young and you're past my age. So you can't relate to me. And, you know, Hey, the times are different, stuff like that. I get it. Times are different and they may look different, but a lot of times the situations are the same. And how can I speak to you on something that you're going through, especially if I have experience, right? I I feel like I can. So has there been a time that you felt like you were a failure at something? Yes, I did. Oh, (laughs) right. (laughs) Right. You know, so we can agree. And so some of the times that's what they're feeling or, Hey, have you gone through a hard relationship while having to do something else? Yeah. And these are things that they're dealing with. And being able to have those safe conversations, be like, okay, now I can let it go and release it. And now I can be a part of what's happening. And when you mentioned, when you kind of let them have that personal day, how do you bring them back in to integrate them back into what they're doing? And when they integrate back in, if it's the next day or in the future, how do you know that they've really let it go or really addressed the the issue okay you've 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 touched on quite a bit sorry <laughs> um about i don't know maybe 15 years ago i had a student athlete that would come to me all the time and tell me that she had migraines she couldn't train i mean migraine can't train and I'm like, and she got checked out and the whole bit and tested. And I'm like, I don't know if I believe her, but you can't say I don't believe you, right? So it's like, okay, go take another day off. So I implemented personal days. So at UCLA, we're on the quarter system. It's 10 weeks. And I gave them three personal days a quarter 
that they could not come to gym for any reason they wanted. It wasn't up to me to approve of why they weren't coming in, but they had to, they couldn't take a personal day. We, we had an inner squad or a team meeting or recruits or they couldn't take a, a personal day. The last six weeks of, of our season, which was championship season, Pac-12, regionals, nationals, blah, blah, blah. But I remember one time Jeanette Antolin said, Miss Fallon, I'm taking a personal day tomorrow because there's a designer jeans sale down at the garment district. And I'm like, great, here's my size. Let me know if you find anything, right? Yeah. Um, and now, because there was, we're all clued into the importance of mental health and wellness, like I gotta say, I kept myself in the back. I was ahead of my time. Mm. Like, you know? And when you ask, how do you get them integrated? You don't have to, they're refreshed. They are totally refreshed. And all I would say to them is if you're going to take this personal day, it's about your personal, mental, emotional, and health and wellness and physical health and wellness, then tomorrow be better than you were today, which means don't spend your personal day sleeping all day, not studying and partying at night. Right. You know, let's use this. Um, and I can't think of one time that someone came back from a personal day, not refreshed. The second thing I want to say to you is um, in looking back on my career, I wish I would have connected the dots of how important it was to develop relationships because I developed relationships very easily with our student athletes, partly because like you said, I wasn't, I thought of them as people first, athletes second. So when I would say, Hey, how's your day going? And they would respond to how things went in the gym. I'd say, if you want to talk about gymnastics, we can talk about gymnastics. I asked you how, how are you doing? Right. All the whole of you, not just right. part of this gymnast. And I wish I would have understood how important it was to figure out how to develop those relationships with the student athletes that didn't easily come that, that I didn't easily develop relationships with because I would have been able to understand them better. They would have been understand me better. And we didn't have to agree. Like Jamie Dancher is a great example of that. She questioned every single thing I did. And we didn't always agree on the outcome, but there was a relationship where I listened to her. She listened to me. She felt the safe space to come talk to me. And I gave it right back to her, you know, and it was often contentious but we had a relationship. Um, and in speaking about coaches these days, I feel that the young people that coaches are teaching and coaching, the Gen Zers, from everything I've read, this is, this is my favorite book on how to be able to understand and comprehend this generation. Um, they hear things differently than how we say them. Like I'm in my sixties. Okay. So I have a totally different perspective of how I was taught than how you were taught. But I think anybody, anybody that is 20 years old and, and, and older, I think most of them have had an authoritative dictatorial style of parent coach or teacher in right. their in their lives and for them to be able to understand that 
what is the difference between being that style of a leader and now understanding the beauty that comes from being a transformational leader, which is, mm. as I said, in your acronym, I, I teach a class at UCLA, a graduate school class, and every single student I've had in the last five years I've taught this class, all shake their heads like you just did about mm. having an authoritative dictatorial style of coach or teacher. Right. And what I get so excited about, you can tell because I lean in all the time when I'm on these Zooms, right? Which is so stupid. Um, but what I love is that we're living in a time now where we have the research that shows you can achieve at the highest level without being that transactional style of leader. Mm. And yeah. that's what I love about my growth as a coach was we achieved at the highest we're doing a documentary on our um, 2018 national championship because we didn't focus on winning it was the larry nassar year it mm. was the impact statements year it was when maggie nichols came out as athlete a all this stuff was going on we went into that season and we just got tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter as a team and we went in just like let's just celebrate all of our hard work mm. And we end up having one of the biggest comeback in sport history. Mm. And it wasn't because they thought they were going to win. I've asked every one of them, did you think you could win on that last event? They said, no, we just want to leave it all on the floor. And then at the press conference, Pang was asked, what was the secret sauce? Because you, you, as a team, you've, you seem so connected. And she said, it's love. Love for the sport, love for the process, love for each other, love for our coaches, Love for the fact that we get to play sports because we're women. And there are a lot of countries women can't play sports or get an education. She says, this just comes down to love. Wow. Yeah. And I think that word sometimes gets just thrown, thrown around, especially now in different spheres. But being able to, uh, to see that really it is like the glue that really holds everything together. And it's, it's not a word that should ever be considered overused, right? Just because when it's really tapped in correctly, it does do powerful things and should be something that any group or any partnership relationship is always trying to pursue is how can we have that authentic um, love that increases as time goes so then when, like you said, in 2018, the year you guys won the national cha championship, because of that being the backbone of your team, it allowed the team to really shine when, when it needed to, especially you could almost say it was subconsciously, right? Because like you mentioned, it wasn't, it didn't seem like their intention to come out Obviously, you come out to compete and do your best and win, but there was something subconsciously pushing their their effort level and their drive to be able to go and give everything that they had. Now, yeah. can you can you also talk about like that day, that whole day? What did that day look like to the from when you guys woke up and and got the day going to the girls finding out? They're national championship, national champions. Um, 
Uh, I'm not sure that all the athletes did this, but we talked a lot about getting off your phones. Okay. In the eye of the hurricane, all is quiet. And outside the hurricane is the noise. How are we going to silence the noise? What people are saying, Oklahoma is going to win their third national championship in a row. Does UCLA have the, the manpower to do it? Um, all of the noise, how do you silence that? You know, you go, we call it the brewing bubble. I'm using all these metaphors, the hurricane, the brewing bubble, blah, blah, blah. But let's just focus on the things that we have control over. And so um, it's part of my book. I'm not going to get into it. But when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I heard be anxious for nothing and grateful for all things. And in the morning, when I looked just to make sure that I didn't have any pressing things on my phone and I was going to turn my phone off, right before I turned my phone off on Instagram, that quote, be anxious for nothing and grateful for all things came up on my Instagram. And it's not my, it wasn't my, what I put there. It's like, it just, it was like the universe was saying, just stay on track. Mm. And so what was, what was really fun to think back on was we did good our first event. We didn't do great. We did good our second event. We didn't do great, but you could kind of feel the, that energy start to dissipate. And we went to the bye after our second event and Chris Waller said to me that he was out watching the other teams. And he said, Val, he said, no team is having a lights out evening. And then he says to me, I just had a rain man moment. He says, I looked up the scoreboard. He says, and I calculated everything. And if we PR, like we could actually win this thing. And I'm, and we're like in last place, right? Okay. Great, Chris. Okay. He's like, can I go talk to the team? I said, of course you can go talk to the team. Well, ever since then, I've had executive coaches that coach CEOs of C-suites tell me that they don't know of one other co uh, boss at that level, CEO, that would allow someone else, an assistant, to talk to the team in the most important moment. But I was like, I had nothing. Why not trust my assistant coach who has I've worked with for 18 years, who I trust implicitly? Of course, Chris, go talk to the team. So he came into the locker room and he didn't dial in X's and O's. He didn't talk about we're going to bars next, handstands and keep your core tight and breathing and all that. He got he got to the core of our team and what we had done all year. Mm. We had trained like champions all year. We got each other's backs. We trained through the struggle. We had done the work. Just get back to doing that. And our team was known for working really, really hard, but we worked hard by implementing joy as well. So he's like, you guys dance, you guys sing, you guys laugh, you guys hug, do all of that. Get back to who you are. Cause right now the energy in this room is not who you are. Mm. And by him saying that it was literally like hitting a refresh button where all of the noise and the nonsense and the negativity and the doubting just dissipated. And what we were left was the core of who we were. Mm. And we went to bars, PR, went to beam. He saw what happened. And 
it's it's just there's so many nuggets that happened in that season that I want to share. I'm glad we're doing this documentary on it, um, including the fact that the last rotation balance beam. I normally go up to every single student athlete right before they go and I remind them of their cue. You know, KJ Kindler, like she talks them through their whole routine, which is reminding them of their cues. I would just remind them of their cue, the same thing over and over, like every single meet. That meet, every single athlete, I went to go tell them their cue. They grabbed my hands and they looked me in the eye and they said, Miss Val, I got this. And I didn't say anything. Mm. And people have asked me what was one of my most brilliant coaching moments. That was my most brilliant coaching moment that I didn't say anything because had I said, had I felt the need to say something, it would have come from my ego as the head coach or the balance beam coach needing to give my two cents before, because my athlete can't perform at her best unless I remind her of what she needs to do. Mm. All six of them in their own little words, looked me in the eye with this beautiful, confident smile and said, Miss Val, I got this. And I fist pumped him and I walked, I didn't say one word, that rotation. Wow. And we had to average a 9.95 of our six athletes. And there was not one other 9.95 the entire evening from the other five teams. And we had to average five of them. Good thing I'm wearing this hoodie because when you just talked about that and your athletes responding to you in that way, that they got it literally ran chills through my whole body. I even have sweatpants on and I still feel those chills. Like <laughs> that is something that I think any coach and every coach wants to hear but to hear it when you're down and to hear it when there's very 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 little if any margin for error to have a chance is magical for them to be able to look within themselves and believe in what you had mentioned earlier and what chris had reminded them that of all the work that they did prior and it's it wasn't really about that night but about the journey that they went on that led to that night that they're able to use because they built up for a moment like this right you deserve to get there you did the work to get there so now show all the work that you did right and for you to not feel like you needed the, not necessarily the direction, but needed the approval of your head coach or even the coach of that event, but knew that you already gained their approval from what you did day in, day out to be able to get to that moment. I 100% believe that had I been a younger coach, had I been 10 years earlier, not as experienced, I would have felt the need to say something. And had I said something, they would have performed just that much tighter, trying to be quote unquote perfect. And we won by the smallest margin in gymnastics history. We would not have won the national championship had I felt the need 
to say something. Had I not trusted our athletes, when they look me in the eye and they go, I got this. Man, I, I, I might need to go get a jacket and I'm in Texas or just step outside because these are things that, you know, we all yearn for is, and we always, you know, look for is to be able to know that we trained and help guide our athletes in a place where they are able to guide themselves and to see that. And really, I tell my athletes this all the time. When you guys do your routines, I want to be front and set, not front and center, but I want to have front row seats to your performance. I don't want to be on the stage with you. It's not my show. Like, it's not about me. I, I could care less. My job is to be able to help tell you and show you all that you're capable of and allow you to go and present that and perform that. Mm -hmm. Right. And to be able to do that at that stage, I think is, is huge. Mm -hmm. And I want, I want to talk about, you know, two things. Um, one, we, you kind of mentioned this earlier in that year, there was so much going on in the world of gymnastics. Mm -hmm. How did you navigate what was happening in gymnastics with young women who, especially on a team that had a lot of former Olympians who may have had either friends or may have had um, people that they were close to or even themselves experience things that happened with Larry Nassar in, or in gymnastics. How did you navigate your team during mm -hmm. that year especially young women to kind of and not that is not noise, but kind of be able to sift through the noise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, a head coach's job is to, is to eliminate distractions and not to invite distractions. And I did the exact opposite. I invited the distraction. I talked about the distraction because of what you said earlier, I looked at our student athletes people first. And when we went in the middle of the season, we went, we traveled to Arizona and Jordan Weaver wasn't with us. Well, she was in Michigan giving her impact statement. She was in Michigan doing the hardest thing she's ever done in her life. Looking her sexual abuser in the eye and telling that person exactly what he did to her and how he made her feel. And so I just decided we got, we're, we're not going to pretend like Jordan just missed the flight, you know? So we had a team meeting and it was interesting. The athletes that came forward a little later, they were very agitated in that meeting. And I said, how are we going to honor, honor Jordan? Cause she was coming back. She's going to come to the meet tomorrow. I said, how are we going to honor her and not just pretend like, you know, this isn't happening. And Pang looked it up on her phone and she goes, teal is the color to support sexual abuse victims. Let's just go buy teal ribbon and put that in our hair. And it'll be a very subtle show of support. So we did that and wore teal the rest of the season. Um, and I had two coaches call me and say that they were upset that we had brought this to the attention because they knew that they had victims on their team as well, but they didn't want to talk about it after, until after season. And that fact that we're wearing teal is kind of like now making everybody feel that they have to wear teal 
And I was like, no, 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 no. This is not about that. You do you. We're going to do us. Okay. Mm-hmm. You do what you think is best for your team. I'm going to do what we think is best for our team. Well, the very next week we were competing against Oklahoma. Just so happened. Like this, this whole season is like when I've told producers about what went on this in these eight months, they're like, if we wrote this as a script, as fiction, we wouldn't have put all this stuff in there because it's mm. unfathomable. All this happened mm. very next week. And some, Maggie Nichols had come out as athlete A. So I contact KJ and I'm like, I don't want to invite distraction into your team, but I would like to celebrate the the Thrivers because we had Jamie Danchurch and Ed Anson, Jordan Weaver, Matt, uh, Maddie Larson, Maggie Nicholson. And I want to make a, a meet where we come together. We called it Together We Rise. And she's, KJ was great. She's like, absolutely. And so our videographer videoed their athletes, videoed our athletes one at a time, put together this wonderful video. We never talked about sexual abuse. We never mentioned Larry Nasser's name. Um, the end of the meet, again, is <laughs> ridiculous. Their second and last person on beam gets a 10. Our second last person on floor gets a 10. Their last person on beam gets a 10. Our last person on floor gets a 10. They beat us by a 10th. And it's like, like, it's so great. And then we play this video. And while we're playing the video, both teams put on a white t-shirt with teal letters that said together we rise. And they come out unified around the survivors. And there was not a dry eye in, in like 13,000 people in Poly Pavilion. There was not a dry eye in the arena. And I had people emailing me from around the world saying that was the most important gymnastics meet they'd ever witnessed because it transcended sport. Mm. It did exactly what sport is supposed to do. So shortly after that, Kyla Ross comes in my office. If you've watched my TED talk, I talk about this. I actually break down during my TED talk talking about this, but, um, and she starts talking and Kyla doesn't talk a lot. Um, She actually does now. (laughs) She didn't back then. And she's talking to me for like two hours about stuff, boyfriend, classes, family, graduate school, blah, blah, blah. And once again, getting back to shut up and listen. I didn't insert my opinion. I didn't try to ask for the questions. I just listened. And then after two hours, she took a breath. And she said, Miss Fowler, I want to tell you something I've never told anybody because I just realized this last night. I was sexually abused by Larry Nassar. And she says, but I am not a victim. And I said, okay. And she said, I refuse to allow him to determine how I'm going to live my life. Mm. And I said, would you agree that you were victimized? And she thought about it. She goes, yeah. So then I asked her what she wanted to do. And we talked about, you know, getting some counseling, but we also, she felt very strongly that we needed to talk with the team about it because she wanted to share it with the team. Mm. And we did, we had our sports psychologist there talk through things. Fast forward, two months later, we win the national championship. And as I am picking up my bag, after after all the crying and the streamers and the trophies and the, the hugs and all that, I'm picking up my bag and there's Kyla. 
And she says to me, Miss Val, I want to tell you the reason why we won this championship, we because you chose to address the elephant in the room. Hmm. And by listening to us and talking through it, you helped us put words to these, these emotions that we all had. And she said to me, Miss Val, I literally felt myself walk taller as the season went on simply because I had been heard. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> no, I, man, <clears throat> again, I need two jackets now because empowering people and especially those women in times where reflecting on their most vulnerable times being taken advantage of and feeling as though they were able to walk on the right side of something that is and could be a lasting trauma in their life, I think is a lot of kudos. It talks, talks about you as a person, but also talks about the environment and what you're doing to be able to, to, to help young women to understand their voice and understand what they can do with it and to understand also that even if a trauma happens, you can identify it, but not be identified by it. Just like Kyla was, you know, trying to, what Kyla was saying, that's what I think about is I think she identified what happened, but it wasn't part of her ide identification, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, like you said, addressing the elephant that's in the room. And I I know that's something I probably struggle with because there's certain things that are super sensitive. And specifically, I've had a couple situations where um, <clears throat> I've had, and it, it's not necessarily um, sexual abuse, but where I've just noticed like things on some athlete's arms. So I notice, you know, patterns on their arms that are not normal to, you know, it could be, you know, I can understand your cat got to you or you scratch yourself. But as soon as I seen them, I made sure that I, I addressed them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, again, talking about the elephant in the room, that might be what it is. And they're waiting for that to be addressed. Right. And that's a tail sign of, hey, I need something to be told. And sometimes if we ignore it and we just say, hey, go put a, just go put a long sleeve shirt on for today, mm -hmm. or just put a long sleeve shirt on, or let's just not talk about it, but yet it festers and they're going through it because now they hear the news talk about it. And now they're reminded and it just sits up here. Now mm -hmm. you're going to the place in gymnastics where this may happen. And now there's these pressures, right? There's mm -hmm. these feelings that rise up. Again, it doesn't have it doesn't have to have anything to do with UCLA gymnastics or anything like that or whatever gym you might be in. But because there's correlations, I'm mm -hmm. in a gymnastics place. I'm doing gymnastics and this happened in a gymnastics setting, but I had never talked about this or really addressed this now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. empowering them to be able to talk about that and doing it on a on a on a public stage being you know some of the top teams especially in regards to having the 
the stars in regards to the the accolades of some of these athletes to be able to do that. And sometimes it's hard, right? Because pride gets in the way and ego gets in the way and stuff like that. How to you did you get to that place to where you're like, you know what, that's what we need to do? Or is it because you coach people first? Mm -hmm. It was just the natural you response. But as we're talking about this, it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, the personal days, right? It got the first question you asked me was how do you work with an athlete when they're just having a rough time in the gym? And I said, I don't address the gymnastics because 99% of the time it has nothing to do with gymnastics. I say, how are you doing? Look them in the eye. <laughs> and if they don't look me in the eye, then something's going on. Right. And what do you want me to know? Right. And this was just a, a continuation of that style of coaching. It was on a magnitude none of us in the world have ever dealt with. Um, but it was just normal and natural to do. And when I've had, I do a lot of speaking for corporations. And as I said, this story is in my TED talk. And they said, I'm often asked to make sure that I tell the Kyla Ross story because had I put winning above developing the, the athlete into a champion in life, had I put winning above the person, I would have swept it under the rug until nationals were over. Hmm. And I didn't feel like I could, I wanted to do, these are human beings. Right. No, that we're dealing with. And so kind of like just to switch a little bit, but a lot of what you've been talking about just keeps reminding me as I was thinking through all of this, when I was thinking about like my Ted talk asks the question is all winning success. And what is the difference between winning and success? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I have determined very clear in my mind, like winning is something that's finite Winning is a, a moment where you stand at the top of the leaderboard when you're, you, you got the ring, you got the trophy, you got, that's winning. You got the A, you got into your school of choice, your college of choice, you won. Success are all of those characteristics and traits, the tools in your tool belt that you got and you sharpened through the process of wanting to achieve at the highest level, to win. But winning lasts for only as long as that moment is. Success lasts beyond the win. And so yeah. literally, I literally would tell people, okay, so this is kind of crazy, but people, anybody who knows me knows that I'm just like a whack job. But when people would ask me, you know, what I did for a living, I would say, I developed superheroes and I had some, like whenever someone would say that, they'd go, oh, you work in Hollywood? And I go, no, 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 I work near Hollywood, but I develop young women into superheroes because yeah. through sport, you're developing all the characteristics that superheroes have, right? Right. Superheroes aren't going out and saving the world for their own ego and for bragging rights to say, ah, ha, ha, we beat you. Batman, ha, ha, I'm Superman, I beat you. No, right. that's not what superheroes do. We're developing superheroes through athletics. 
No, I, I, I'm with you on that because my purpose kind of goes back to something that you mentioned is, is really to help teach athletes, uh, uh, you know, two main things, attitude and effort really drive and dictate everything that you're going to do. And for me as a coach, I determine my, um, how do I want to word it? I determine my, like how excited I am for you, or if I'm going to be frustrated with you based off of those two things is your attitude and your effort. Just because those are really two things that you can control and those are choices that you have to make in order for you to succeed or to fail, right? And when I say fail, I mean, you're choosing to be able to not give your best. So then it's harder for you to be able to get a win, right? In whatever you're doing. And and so that drives kind of what I, what I do, but I also, tell these athletes that I really do not care as much about the gymnastics as I do what happens beyond gymnastics. And it could be outside of here, how you treat people, but also who you become after. Like if you want to be the best veterinarian ever, I want gymnastics to be able to help you learn that in how you went about your conditioning, how you went about your routines, how you treated your teammates, how you put your grit bag back, how you put the gym back together, how you responded to your parents, how you treated other competitors. Those are, again, you talk about these tools, right? Tools to be able to use. And being able to see the transformation that happens and especially once they're done, and I'm younger, obviously, um, I'm, you know, you had mentioned your your age, I'm half your age. And I, I haven't seen probably what you've probably seen where you've seen athletes go outside of the or finish gymnastics and be great women in whatever fields that they choose or great mothers, if they ch- chose to have kids or great, you know, um, co-workers and whatever they chose to do I haven't seen as much just because I haven't had that career that long but that's what I look look for you know I just recently had a former athlete that I was coaching when I was at Whitewater just get married and invite me to the wedding like those are the moments that I care about right I don't care about the moments where hey not that I really don't care that probably sounds wrong but those aren't the thing that pops up in my head is, you know, the moments of gymnastics, probably the times where you went through trials, like this specific athlete didn't make bar lineup and made bar lineup for me and was a consistent uh, contributor on bars and invited me to like, that's what, that's what gets me excited is, Hey, that the time that we had, in the short season of your life in gymnastics made such an impact on you that you want to be, be important of in part of one of the most important days of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And seeing what else she's going to end up doing mm-hmm. when she grows her family or grows her career and mm-hmm. grows as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pang, Pang just called me yesterday out of the blue. And said, 
the older I get, the more I appreciate everything that, that our program instilled. Mm. And she said, you know, I, she's trying to make it in the music industry now. And she said, you know, Miss Val, she goes, one of the things that I really like learned at, first of all, she had amazing parents. Um, every time she got injured, they weren't like, oh, we're so sad. So much. It's like her mom would go get her a guitar and say, let's learn how to play the guitar. Let's take guitar and singing lessons. Great. Okay. You're going to be out for a year with your knee injury. Let's go do this. Now let's go take cooking lessons, um, which I love. I mean, I've had, whenever I speak with parents and Pang's around, I have Pang come join us because Pang was injured a lot and her parents were like it's just sport it's just it's fine let's go do something else you know um but it's interesting yes i have coached a lot of student athletes and i've seen where they've gone in their lives and the ones that really sharpened their tools that sport teaches you they're not out there in the world making the world great. I can't think of one of them that has a victim mentality when things don't go right. They look at it as a challenge. They don't look at adversity or someone saying something mean to them on social media and they don't you know, take that as, oh, poor me, I don't deserve this, whatever. They just look at it either like, hey, that's just life or it's a challenge. You know, How am I gonna work through this? Pass this. Um, and those are things you learn in sport. Every single child on the planet should be in sport. And every child who's in an individual sport, the coaches should try to make it some type of a team sport so that they're part of something greater than themselves. Mm -hmm. Sport is a master class in learning life lessons you do not learn in the classroom, in math, history, English, STEM, all that. Yeah. I'm big on education. But it's got to be complemented by the grit and the rigor of athletics. Yeah. No, I agree. I saw that today. Right before I was here, I had a training session and I had two siblings. Now, they're going through um, like these hurdles. We were doing high, um, high jump, like um, tuck jumps really over these hurdles. Now, the younger brother wasn't doing it the way I needed it to be done. And I went to go set up the next exercise and it involved the same thing. When I went to go do that and I started setting up, what I seen was the older brother coming and encouraging and coaching and hyping the younger brother on what to do. And to me, I was like, you know what? Everybody needs a Connor, his name is Connor, in their life. Someone who walks alongside, notices, hey, you know, they're not able to do, they're not doing what they're being asked to do but i'm gonna come alongside them and encourage them right. to be able to do those things and i think that's what sports like you said does you know it, it gives you those opportunities to do that but also teaches you how to do that and right. in a setting where again it could be more individual it could just be hey i'm getting my training session in my brother's getting his training session in but no we're doing this together and mm -hmm. i want you to win you know, I want you to get better. And I thought that was so beautiful and something I could have literally missed. I could have missed that if I didn't pay attention. I could mm -hmm. have just been like, oh, okay, well, they didn't get it yet and move on. Mm -hmm. But because of that, 
I think it gave some inspiration for the younger one to be like, all right, I can do this. And he locked in a little bit differently. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and it also goes back to probably what happened in 2018 with that national championship team, especially after Chris Waller talked, they were able to be themselves lock in and probably encourage each other Mm -hmm. in a way where earlier they might've missed or might've not have been, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. to be able to see, what those types of things also do Mm -hmm. yeah one one thing that this one of the student athletes brought up to me during that season um because all season long our beam team the student athletes that competed success uh, on beam every weekend they got they had this bond and they literally were invincible Mm -hmm. it's like it's not like they didn't fall but their armor didn't crack. If someone fell, it was like next man up, I gotcha. And I was noticing this swagger amongst them that we didn't have on the other events. And it wasn't because of me, trust me. And one of the student athletes, it may have been Peg, I don't remember who it was, said there was, I was not on beam a lot because there were so many interviews. That was like, we were inundated with, all the that's when Caitlin Ohashi blew up and all that you know so I was on beam a little bit but I was managing the rest of the brand that's UCLA gymnastics and so in the gym a lot of times this is what Pam said to me she goes you know Miss Val I think one reason we have that swagger is because we've had to learn to depend on each other because you've been gone so much so what would happen is on a daily, I would go over there, tell them the beam assignment, let them know, the, let's talk about the accountability. What's our accountability agreement, you know, the agreements. And okay, you guys, I gotta go do this interview, I'll be back. And I remember quite a few times, I would be walking back and they would be coaching each other up. I'm like, they don't need me right now, they mm-hmm. got it. And they developed this bond of, like I said, of not of invincibility of not falling on beam, but just of no doubt. There was no cracks in their foundation of their their sisterhood. Yeah. That band of brothers, you know, that band of sisters. Right. Um, over there. And once again, <laughs> maybe I just maybe I just should have stayed in my office the whole time. I don't know. But once again, it was me not being around. <laughs> that allowed them to, to develop this. And granted, you got to have to have the talent. You have to have, you know, I was at UCLA. I was able to recruit student athletes that had put in the 10,000 hours before they got to us. I get that. Yeah. Um, um, there was something else I said that I wanted to tell you about. I don't remember. It's all right. Um, one of the things I think you're mentioning in regards to them self-coaching and being able to not feel as though or for you to feel like you could do other things and just kind of tell them what needed, what the assignment was and they could kind of navigate the rest. Was that something that you felt like was already built a culture that was built? Or do you feel like you just brought in the right people that already had that type of um, way about being you know, like, that's who they were just natural leaders and go getters. And they, that was something that just kind of developed on its own or was that a culture that was already instilled that you kind of developed with you and your staff? Yeah, we, we developed that culture purposefully. I remember in like 2001, 2000, 
Kristen Maloney, what was she? Three-time NCAA uh, USA champion and Olympian. Yvonne Tuset, two-time Olympian from Canada. I mean, they came to me and they said, and it was during season. So we're competing like on Sunday and this is maybe Thursday. And they said, Miss Val was famous assignment. And I remember, of course I could give them the beam assignment. And I remember going, wait a minute, I've coached you for all of like four months and you've done gymnastics for 15 years already. Well, actually longer because they were both 20 when they came in. I was like, you have a meet in four days. What do you think you need to do to get prepared? And both of them had been so used to being told what it was, it's back to what you said earlier, being told what to do. They couldn't figure out what they should do on that day and they were some of the best gymnasts in the world mm. and i said maloney goes miss val just tell us what to do and i said oh i am not telling you what to do you mm. figure it out mm. and so it was that it was also understanding one thing that i wish i would have clued into you know because when i go back <laughs> to have my career all over again i'll do um, this is what I want to, you said something that triggered this was a lot of coaches have rules and regulations. You know, we had our student ethic handbook that was, <clears throat> I think it was rules and guidelines, something like that. And what I'm realizing now is that even the word rule puts you in a box mm. and it stifles any ability and creativity to either do things differently and better or to figure it out on your own, or to be empowered because the rule is the dictator telling you what to do. So if I were to go back and do it all over again, I would have our student at the handbook be guidelines and agree agreements. And we would talk through everything. We always did talk through everything. We let, you know, if I had, a, like I had a no gum rule and they always wanted to know, you, you hate gum. I'm like, I don't hate gum. Let me explain why there's no gum, okay? And we would come to an agreement when you, when you allow, when you have that dialogue and you're allowing them to express yourself themselves and you're telling them why this is important to you as the leader of this program and you come to an agreement, then they're invested and you have empowered them to, to maintain the standards that the group has agreed upon and so take me not being over on balance beam we had agreements of what a hit routine was it wasn't just staying on the beam it was a national championship caliber quality routine which included face and performance like the ucla style of doing beam that is a hit routine and because we had explained it and they had been able to have a voice in it and we came to an agreement upon it I could step away and let them monitor the progress on that event that day. And there were many times that somebody would just stay on the beam, but it didn't, it wasn't those routine, that routine that came to life and their teammates would go that, that doesn't count, which mm. meant they all had to do it all over again. Yeah. But it was the agreement. And I think agreements, I think that's a very powerful philosophy to have as a coach. Yeah. No, it's good. That's good. I haven't really thought about that, but I think that's really good. I think, you know, making them part of the process, especially when they're at that, at that age, at that level, uh, learning, like we've been talking about this whole time for them to think on their own, 
uh, think for themselves and get to conclusions on themselves. And I think it, it empowers the athlete and the student to be able to do that or the person to do that is when you do these agreements, it's not a dictatorship, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm here to lead you, but at the mm -hmm. same time, if I'm leading you on things that you don't care about at all, or it's really hard to buy into, we kind of have to find those things that will, because you're here now and your response to it can make or break what happens in here. So mm -hmm. I think that's, that, that's super essential. And I think with coaches nowadays, um, I just heard this the other day and it put shivers down my spine. Um, abuse can be translated as any perceived bullying. That, if I was a coach, that would scare the bejesus out of me. Mm. The word perceived, right? Which is why it's even more incumbent on the coach to have these conversations, to explain thoroughly, and to come to an agreement with the athlete of the standard, the accountability, and what that looks like on both from both sides. Right. If I come in in a crappy ass mood, you know, I'm giving you permission as an athlete to come to me and yeah. say, Miss Val, you okay? Exactly what I would say to you. Miss Val, you okay? What do you want me to know? <laughs> and then I, and it did happen a few times. It absolutely happened. But there was yes. an agreement there. Yes. So there was no there was no mis misconception of it being abusive. Right. Me getting in their face or they're being disrespectful to me. Because we had an agreement. Right. And I think that reminds me of one thing I, I, uh, I tell mostly whenever I'm working with my peers or staff is in regards to accountability, I think it aligns with agreements because, and even permission. I guess these four words, so consent, agreement, permission, accountability. And why I bring those four is these are things that you almost, you have to ask someone to do and they have to give you a response back, right? And if they don't, it's hard to be able to reciprocate or to know what to do. So if we're in a conversation and you said, hey, uh, PD, can you keep me um, accountable for something, right? You have to give me permission. If I just came to you and I said, "Hey, Ms. Val, I think you should do this better," you could have been. You could be like, "Who are you, and why are you telling me this?" Because I, you haven't given me given me permission to keep you accountable or even to speak into your life. And having those places, people are going to be more apt to listen because one, they agree, and if they don't agree to, and if they don't listen to something you agree to, you have like almost like a uh, not really a contract, but you have something that that you can hold on to, right? Something that's tangible. Hey, do you remember you gave me permission? Do you remember we agreed upon this? Do you remember there was consent on this? You know, and I think it helps make things as black and white with certain areas as possible that need to be, right? So you know where we're going and how to get there. And when we're not on that road to be able to bring it back. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, what you're talking about is can seemingly seem subtle, but it's not because you're, you're saying that I'm remembering our student athlete handbook when it was rules and guidelines 
and I would go over all of the rules and then they would sign the piece of paper that they had read the student alpha handbook that it had been explained to them. But it wasn't an agreement because I hadn't taken the time to give them the space to re rebut or refute what I was saying. We didn't talk about it. It was simply a rule that I checked off my list. I wrote the student alpha handbook. I went through it with them. I read it all. They signed it. Ding. Done. And it's like I said, it seems subtle, but it's not. Yeah. It's it's culture changing when you give them that voice and you make it a, and you take the time to have an agreement. Absolutely. And I don't I don't like this whole let's agree to disagree type of thing. It's like mm. I haven't really flushed that out as to why I don't like that yet. But if like I keep going back to Jamie Dancer who just <laughs> questioned me on everything. And like I said, sometimes we didn't end up agreeing. But I think we both learned something through the process. So it wasn't just like agreeing to disagree. And if any of your listeners have something better for me that, than agree to disagree, I would love to hear what that is. Because yeah. I don't like that phrase for some reason. Yeah, no, that's good. And th this leads me to the second thing I wanted to talk about, which is kind of a two-part question. And it goes um, how you said that athlete who would always question you. The first part of it was, is, sorry, um, being UCLA and what it ended up being in regards to the brand UCLA gymnastics, but also UCLA, where it is located and, um, the star studded, um, um, uh, identity kind of that it has reputation that it has. How did you manage having, you know, athletes really who, were the highest caliber athletes having um, uh, Olympians and being able to, you know, have egos probably be checked or, you know, for them to even be work to, to work with each other, but also work with the other athletes who may not be. And the other, the other part too, is I know there's a lot of gymnasts who gone to UCLA, who's been probably part of the team and programs who, maybe didn't compete that much to be able to not have you know um as much friction and if there was friction how did how did that get deal with and then the second part um is how did you gain credibility being a non-gymnast to the to gymnasts who got to the highest level of where you can get to in gymnastics where they they were on Olympic stages, won Olympic medals, were Olympic champions, but yet you're able to lead them mm -hmm. at UCLA. Yeah, I, I think that I'll start with that last part. From what I understand, word got out amongst the elite athletes that if they came to UCLA, that they were going to be treated as more than an athlete. And so I had a really good track record with athletes of that caliber helping them process um, what had gone on and, and what had happened in their elite years and then how to recharge for the next chapter of their lives as a as an athlete, as a gymnast. Caitlin Ohashi is a great example of that. Um, and I'm not going to get into that. I'm sure everybody's heard the Caitlin Ohashi story. But um, um we did not 
have, I, I, I can't think I ever had a delineation between freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors. I wanted to instill a servant's heart in every person that was a part of our program. And so we all had our roles. And I used to tell like the student athletes, like you said, that didn't compete, that UCLA gymnastics is a puzzle and we all have our own individual pieces of the puzzle. And just like any puzzle, no two puzzle pieces are the same, but if your piece is missing, our puzzle, our, our team is not complete. So your value, your, you have tremendous value, mm. even though you don't compete. And I explained this in the recruiting process because I didn't want them coming and being disillusioned and pissy because they weren't competing. Um, but we didn't have, have like if, if a board needed to be moved, if a mat needed to be moved, if something had to happen and Kyla Ross is standing right there, Olympic gold medalist, I'd go, hey, Kyla, can you get that mat? Or if, you know, laundry needed to be done, I'll do the laundry. Or back in the day, I'm vacuuming the floor. The the floor exercise mat, you know, I remember, I remember so clearly they had come in, uh, the cleaning staff had come in the night before, but they didn't, they, for some reason, they did not get over the bar area. So I went and got Jordan Weaver, Olympic champion, one of those little backpack vacuums. And I'm like, Joe, I need you to go vacuum the bar area. And she's like, okay. And she was over there for like an hour vacuuming the bar area and we had recruits come in and they're like I'm like that's Jordan Weaver she's down there vacuuming the bar area but that was just the culture of our program whatever mm. you need to get done you do you don't there's no delineation there's no tier structure and I noticed or we had because every team I'd ever known had team captains so we're just gonna have team captains and then I'll never forget Brittany McCullough one day super quiet leader but strong leader and one of her teammates is having a meltdown over on bar on vault and Brittany was on beam and I'm looking over on vault and Brittany's like, what's the beam assignment? And I said, what I want you to do right now is to go help your teammate on vault. And she said, no, 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 I can't do that. Cause I'm not one of the captains. I don't want to step on the captain's toes. And after that moment, I was like, Oh, having captains, is suppressing everybody else who's not a captain from developing their leadership skills. Mm. So I did away with, with captains and I went to a leadership council type of a thing. Um, but everything that we did was, it was an even playing field. It wasn't a social stratus. It wasn't a, an athletic stratus. And, and I'll never, those aren't the right words. Like I'm not, I'm having a hard time finding my words, but those aren't the right words, but hopefully you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, it was 2018 or 2019. One of the reporters asked Caitlin Ahashi, who was the most inspiring person on the team. And Caitlin said, I know that you're going to think it's going to be one of our Olympic gold medalists, Koshin or Kyle Ross. She said, it's Sarah Taubman. And the reporter said, who's Sarah Taubman? And Caitlin said, right. Who's Sarah Taubman? Sir Talman was a non-scholarship student athlete. And she says, Sarah comes in every day with so much appreciation for the opportunity to be a part of this program. And she works as hard, if not harder than everyone else on this team. Mm -hmm. Caitlin said, she reminds me every day simply by how she shows up 
to be appreciative of the opportunity that I have here. Yeah. Well, that's very good. And one thing I think you did very well is the way you, you got the crowd involved at meets mm -hmm. that, you know, kind of fed the energy of mm -hmm. the, um, the athletes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it also, um, in my personal opinion, kind of got them used to being able to have, you know, the, the applause and not get distracted. Cause sometimes, especially, you know, um, in a place where if we seen a celebrity go, you know, um, or s knew that someone was a Olympian, what would most people do? Oh, let me get their autograph. Let me kind of, you know, but I've seen that you kind of got the audience involved. So it was something that was almost regular for them. Right. And, um, and from my opinion, it almost helped them be able to deal with the potential ego aspect of it. Right. And because, you know, the, the brand of UCLA gymnastics is fun floor routines that have personality you know, that really showcase the, 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 the person, the person, right. And get the crowd involved and have like these hooks in their, in their um, routine that people all know, right. It's like when someone's about to do something in the corner before they tumble, they do this clap or whatever. Everybody's in it because they know, right. Good uh, job. And, <laughs> yeah. And even like beam, you know, right. Um, beam was another, I think bars too, because, you know, the sticks and, um, and, and all that, but uh, having really, again, the pinnacle of athletes mm -hmm. at a school that has, that's in a place like LA near mm -hmm. Hollywood, but yet having some of the most humble and most down to earth people. Mm -hmm that were there uh, how 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 yeah how did you create first that? of all I want to say that when I came into being as the head coach knowing nothing Sarah Patterson was at Alabama Suzanne Yoffin was at Georgia and Greg Marston was at, at Utah and I asked them a thousand questions about how they filled their arenas and they were very forthcoming with all their secrets about how they made their own programs, such international brands. Um, and so I took that and I tried to implement some of them that did not work in Los Angeles, okay? Mm -hmm. And Greg, I remember Greg saying that. He's like, now this is gonna work in Salt Lake City, but it's not necessarily gonna work in LA. Right. And, and entertainment capital of the world. So my, I was like, okay, how am I gonna, athletics is, entertainment and i think that's one i think this is one reason why the men's gymnastics nca men's gymnastics has is dying a slow death because they don't they have not embraced that i was like oh now he's gonna play his guitar um it's entertainment <laughs> okay so i'm in the entertainment capital of the world right on any given night you can go to anything you want in la how am i gonna get those people to spend their hard-earned dollars to come to L to a UCLA gymnastics meet and what you, like, you're very, very, very perceptive. What you picked up on was intentional. 
How do I bring, make the crowd feel like they are part of the experience? Because when I go to a football game and I'm screaming at that ref, I think that I am affecting the outcome of right. the game. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I believe it hundred percent. How am I going to make that happen? And I will never forget Denisha Francis bars at UCLA was right by our student section. And Denisha did this great bar routine, stuck her dismount. The student section goes crazy. And Denisha's engulfed with her teammates. And I went and I plucked her out of the middle of that. I said, go high five the student section. And that started the tradition that they still carry on at UCLA now, where whenever they stick the dismount on bars, they they snake the, the stadium of the student section and high five all the students. And I had somebody, I had a basketball player that came to a meet one time goes, you are so mean. Your athlete just does this great routine and you make her run stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's important. It's important. Um, but it was all intentional. Teaching the student section, the choreography. I would go, we would have Thursday night before meet, the, the den, the student section, the UCLA Bear Den, the Bruin Den. And they would meet. There'd be about a hundred or so of them. I would teach them the the hooks that you mentioned. You're very receptive. Yeah. The hook of each routine. Yeah. That they would know how. To, so then they were. So you're on TV. You're seeing the floor routine. You're seeing this mass of student athletes and our I mean, students. And our student attendance went from like a hundred students showing up to fifteen hundred students showing up so what's interesting is that during that timeline we went from 2500 people coming to our meets in poly pavilion to between eight and ten thousand on a regular consistent basis and we hadn't won a national championship mm. so in 2000 in whenever it was 2000 2001 2003 we won four championships in five years our attendance did not increase it wasn't until I got intentional with figuring out how we're going to increase this attendance. Plus, come on, I'm in entertainment. I grew yeah. up on stage. I got to use what I got, right? Right. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. So bringing all that and making it entertainment. Yeah. That's why every single floor routine had to be different. It couldn't be the same. You cannot have the same music that somebody else has. Everybody had to throw have their own hook. I wanted the lay person to be able to watch a floor routine and go, remember that girl that did this right before the last pass, whatever. So when yeah. you look at Caitlin Ahashi, who's got like 280 million views on her floor routine, that's not 280 million gymnastics fans. The majority of that 280 million are lay people that know nothing about gymnastics that just bought in because it was really hard athleticism infused with joy and it was choreography that they could relate to. It yeah. wasn't highbrow gymnastics. It was choreography. They, it was music they could relate to and it was choreography they could relate to. Yes. Which I think is very crucial. As you can see behind me, I have a guitar. And so yes. the hook part, I'm a musician. And so I play in the rhythm se section. So I, I'm a, I'm a, a, originally a drummer but if I were to pan 
earlier, you saw one of my other bases over yeah. here. So if I were to pan around my office, which is kind of messy, so I won't, there's a guitar over here to my right. There's my drum set. That's right here. I have a bass guitar over here. I have another acoustic guitar over here. I have a guitar right there. I have, um, I don't know if I mentioned my keyboard. I have a keyboard and all of these other equipment here. Now, and I bring this up because in music, the ones that we, re we remember have like that hook, right? If right. you think about Michael Jackson's songs, like if you hear that dun, dun, thriller, right? We know, mm -hmm. dun, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And so those things kind of get people moving, right? Um, if you think about some drum patterns, right? Um, or just in music, what gets us into it is these hooks, right? And that th that draws people in, which I think UCLA did a great job with, right? Is pulling the again like you said the lay the layman people who don't understand mm -hmm. technically what's happening right mm -hmm. a lot of times even with football a lot of people go and watch football and they have no idea what's really happening but they're invested because mm -hmm. there's an entertainment aspect of it right mm -hmm. and being able to do what you guys have had done and give even these athletes the opportunity if nil was a thing when you were <laughs> right if you like it would have been at a at, at a crazy level at UCLA at that time, right? And I, which this it's its own topic because it probably would have brought people there for the wrong reasons. But um, but I I I think that also brings the um the the notion that you're you're talking about making things a um. Uh, uh, not just an individual but making a team right mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because you can watch the whole team know the routine and kind of before even the crowd probably got into it they watched the team do these hooks right mm -hmm. and then those little gymnasts watched the team do those hooks and they started to do it mm -hmm. and once they started to do it the rest of the crowd was like hey a mom sees my little daughter doing you know Caitlin Ohashi's you know, um, star-studded, you know, pose thing, right? And now she's into it. And next mm -hmm. thing you know, hey, we got the husband doing it and my little brother's now doing it. And now the whole audience is doing it just because they saw how the team came together, yeah. you know, to create that ident identity and the athlete, again, perform it, not just go out there and go, all right, mm -hmm. got to point my toes, got to salute, mm -hmm. land my pass, because if I don't stick it, our score is going to be bad and my coach is going to be on on me about that. No, it's about showing off, right? Or not really showing off, but giving a good performance. You mentioned balance fame earlier when you were talking, when you start talking about all this artistry stuff. And I mean, this is interesting. I mean, you're like, you're an artist, I'm an artist. We're speaking the same language here. Because yeah. I used to tell them, the student athletes, just because the beam is four inches wide and 16 feet long, it's it's a stage. You have to perform up there. Yep. And what's like driven me nuts being in this gymnastics world for so long are the choreographers that choreograph the body and they don't choreograph the face. Mm. It's like your face is part of your body. Why aren't you choreographing the face? Then I started doing the research behind it and and the research proves that when you smile, you actually kick in the endorphins and the dopamine and all that great stuff in your brain that makes you feel happy. So why don't you want to feel happy on beam? So 
it was like, it wasn't really an agreement or a suggestion. It was mandatory that they smile on balance beam. Mm. And the elites, it drove them crazy because mm. they had reached the highest level of success without smiling on beam. Mm. I'm like, I know, but we're continuing to grow. So let's just continue to grow. So one of my favorite moments is that you watch Kate, go watch Kyla Russ, go pull up Kyla Russ at UCLA on beam. She literally is smiling through her series, which she was petrified of. And she switched her brain, her cue, because before she got there, she only, she used to focus on perfection. And then I would tell her perfection doesn't exist. So every time you try to be perfect, you're going to fall short. Mm. She's like, so what should I focus on? I was like, let's focus on excellence or joy. And so before every beam routine, she would come up to me and she'd say, I'm not going to think about being perfect. I'm going to enjoy every moment. Mm. Great. Carla. And when you pull her up on YouTube, she is alive. Maybe I'll have to add some clips because going through here, there's a couple couple times where I'm like, I think I need to add a few of these clips yeah. in to, as like overlaying as you're talking so that people can kind of put two and two together. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> this was this was very 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 insightful and you know i think you are such a great influence and great uh, impact on so many people young women on um, coaches alike especially coaches like me who can relate to not being a gymnastics coach and mm -hmm. having other other things and other passions and things to offer um mm -hmm. like even what why i want to do like the running component of vault. Um, mm -hmm. That's something that's more outside of what normal gymnastics would do. Right. Mm -hmm. But I could have be afraid. And actually I was for so long to be afraid of actually bringing it up And one, in one particular example, not necessarily afraid, but where it seemed like I probably was doing the wrong thing in regards to how gymnastics would do it. So we brought in a, former well she was like a national team coach slash judge and former olympian mm -hmm. and came in and was doing like clinics and evaluation on our on our uh, club program and they were going through running things and she kept saying to point their feet especially mm -hmm. on vault and i was like i disagree with you that's not what you do on vault mm -hmm. but they're adamant about that and i could have been like the the status and the accolades that this person had and where the position that they had, I could have been like, um, you're, you're right. I'm changing everything that I'm doing and only doing it like this. But to me, I was like, actually what you're saying is wrong because you can point your toes all day long. Guess what? The judges don't care about how you run as long as right. you can produce a good vault. Once you hit that springboard, they're judging. Right. right. But before that, they're not, they're not judging. So why not be as efficient? Even if your toes are touching your eyebrows, if it puts more, more force into the ground and makes you have this huge double full that you can stick, isn't that more important? Right. Yeah. And so bringing that up is being able to have the confidence to say, you know what, just because I am not what gymnastics knows, mm -hmm. I still have something that I can offer the sport to be able to help it excel. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to do. Right. Yeah. And even these conversations, you know, I think in other streams, in other sports, some of these things are more common having these conversations yeah. or, but in gymnastics, it hasn't been. So I'm excited to be able to go on this adventure and see where it goes. Well, 
I appreciate the time. This has been so much fun. And I'm going to leave you with just a little something that I've gleaned from talking with you. Um, you're not just a gymnastics coach. You're a whole person. And part of your whole being that whole person is you love sports. You love music. You love art. So keep doing all of that because that's going to make you a better coach. And for those coaches out there listening to this, I just implore you to, 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 my book is called life is short. Don't wait to dance. And dance is anything that makes your heart sing. Yeah. So find those things outside of gymnastics that make your heart sing and do them with as much intention and fervor as that you bring to the gym. It's going to make you a better coach. Yes. I promise you. So thank I love you. It. Well, Appreciate thank you it. so much. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in with Ms. Val and all the insightful things that she talked about. And please use some of these things. And if you want to know more, I will link all her information um, so you guys can check out some of her TED Talks or even some of these clips of um, some of her athletes that she talked about. And we all are in a place where we're continuously needing to grow. And we're also, as coaches, in a position where we're the ones who can determine or at least influence these young athletes, women or men or whatever sport that you're doing to be able to be their, the best versions of themselves. And as Ms. Val had mentioned, we have to be the ones to walk it out first and to be that example. And so uh, I, I encourage you to be that example to make the world better through the athletes that you coach and the people that you work with. Have a great one. Tune into the next episode.